0: Good morning, everybody. Merry Christmas. Um, so, as as last time, Mum and Dad asked me to share something for Christmas, and so I said that I would be happy to do that. I'm not preaching; I'm just sharing, just from the heart. <laughs> it's not my place to preach, but I would love to share. So, uh, why don't we pray and then? then I'll just start talking. (laughs) Uh, Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for how good you are to us in our lives. And we thank you for this time of year. It's a little bit crazy. It's a little bit hectic. There's lots of passive aggression. Uh, But we just thank you ultimately, God, that you are good. And this time of year, we remember that your goodness to us was in the form of your son being born as one of us. And we um, thank you for that. So God, I just pray as I share this morning that It would not just be my words, but Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us all um, and we humble ourselves as we come around your word. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. Uh, So I did a couple of Christmas shows um, the last few weeks. I did one last weekend in Melbourne and then this week I was up in Sydney playing a couple of gigs. And I did, uh, I sang the song The First Noel and in Sydney, when I did it, I did it two different nights, and the first night that I sang, I had it with a friend of mine, got up and sing, and I made what was, I think, quite a funny little backhanded joke. Uh, before we sang the first Noel where I was like, you know, um, my friend's going to sing this with us, and th- this is one of my favourite Christmas carols. It's, um, and, I was, and then I, the joke was just literally wasn't planned. I was just like, oh, you know, and it's kind of funny because I don't, think anybody really knows what it means but and then I said which I suppose is kind of appropriate because it's for Christmas time and nobody knows what anything means at Christmas time and then I sang the song anyway and it was beautiful and everybody sang along and you know the next day I got a very intense email from someone that came to the um gig who was like hey Ben beautiful show last night thanks for singing um but I wondered about your your comment about the first Noel, and, you know, I mean, I could just read you the email, it was full of, like, kindness and passive aggression, but it was along the lines of, like, you know, don't, don't you think this is a time, an opportunity for us to, like, share the message of Jesus, and I would have thought that the, the Christ is born in Israel was perfectly obvious in the chorus, and, you know, isn't it our responsibility as Christians to put the Christ back in Christmas, and... All this sort of, it was quite intense and quite, I mean, it was kind, but she was very like, you know, I didn't get your joke, and so I just wrote back and was like, well, it was a bit of satire about the idea that, you know, Christmas has become a social construct and anyway, it's never fun when you have to explain a joke to somebody. Uh, But I, (laughs) but it did get me thinking, like, it's got me thinking a lot, knowing as well that I would share about this, what is the story of Christmas and what? What does that mean? And we, we get told this a lot, you know, this idea of putting Christ back in Christmas. And i had been really thinking a lot about the story of Christmas and the story of the birth of Jesus and what it actually means for us as Christians and what it means for this time of year. Um, because I think as disciples, you know, once we believe in God, I think that we are given two instructions, really, when it comes to story, the story of the Bible. Know the story and tell the story. And I think that sometimes we forget and I am a storyteller, I'm a songwriter and writer, and I love story, and I think that it's easy to forget that ultimately, really, all of life is a story. Our whole faith is a story. The Bible is ultimately story. Even when it's letters, they're letters that are written in the context of people in a story. Um, even if it's poetry, it's poetry that's telling some kind of story. Uh, and I think it is our responsibility to know what's the story and then to be able to tell that story. Um, And I was thinking about this with Christmas. I mean, in this particular case, we have been told this story so many different times. In fact, we could tell this story without even opening our Bibles. I'm pretty sure we could reconstruct. And I actually thought this would be kind of a funny, helpful narrative um, device to do today. So if you'll indulge me. I thought that we could, as a group, recreate the nativity, based on what we know. So this is a little bit of crowd participation. Um, So let's start off. What's our setting? Just put your hand up and feel, or just call something out. Where are we? We're obviously in a gymnasium with some beautiful lights and fake Christmas trees, but otherwise, uh, in the beginning of our story, this is the Christmas story, what do we know? Don't have to look at your Bibles. Think of all the songs, all the paintings you've seen, all the films you've watched. Okay, I'll help you. We're in Israel, <laughs> and it's uh, 2,000 years ago, give or take. Uh, we're in the town of Bethlehem, and who are our main characters of our story? Okay, Mary and Joseph. There we go. So we need... Let's get a Mary. Let's get a Joseph. Let's. Well, why don't we go with people that were already doing it? Um, Catherine, would you be our Mary? Let's do this, because I want to illustrate a bit of a point, and I think that... Uh, No, you don't have to dress up. You can just sit here. Thank you. Where's our Joseph? Oh, Joseph. Please. Everybody, this is Joseph and Mary. Uh, Let me get... Joseph, I'll get you a chair. Here, you can take this piano stool. All right. I always love doing this. I love remembering that the Bible... Is ultimately a story. I mean, even in Hebrews, it calls Jesus the author of our faith, the author and finisher of our faith. So let's tell this story. Joseph and Mary, what else have we got? Let's flesh it out a little bit. Where are they? They're in a stable. Okay, that's good. Well, we we won't reenact the stable, but here's your manger. It's just the building blocks of what we're doing. Uh, What else? Think of the songs that we know. What else is in the stable? Animals, perfect. What kind of animals? Donkeys and sheep. Would you like to be a donkey? You're a donkey. So, this is our donkey. You can just stand here. Hey, you said it. Any other animals? What do we know? Oh, thank you. This is perfect. This is sheep. Okay, good. Who called out sheep? You're a sheep. I'm sorry, you're up. <laughs> what else? What else? Thank you. You can. You don't have to. You don't have to act like a sheep. You can. That's why, Kevin Noble. Please. You can. You. This is on you as, a, as far as how much donkey you want to do. Uh, what else have we got? What else have we got? There's a cow. Would you like to be a cow, Ada? Please. Thank you, everybody. This is our cow. Smaller than the sheep. Little known fact in Bethlehem: cows were smaller than sheep. Um. What else? What other elements are missing from our story? Let's just pick some of the, in terms of the setting. Okay, you're getting a little deep on the plot there. We'll, we'll hold off on the census for a second. Uh, what about up in the sky? There was a star. Thank you. Does anybody want to come and stand here and be a star? Okay, here we go. Alicia's going to come and be the star. Thank you. Everybody, this is our star. Perfect. Uh, and there were some angels I heard, does anybody want to be an angel? Joel, you look like you'd make a great angel. Thank you, oh yeah, (laughs) once again the props are unnecessary but they're appreciated. Okay, so the setting is basically, this is like, we know this is kind of the setting, we've seen this in plenty of paintings, right, we've seen there's a, generally the donkey and the cow are together that's correct that's good the sheep i haven't seen too many sheep in paintings but i like that you're there um the stars in the sky so then the angel what happens the angel appears to mary says you're gonna have a baby joseph you don't have to say it. we can we all <laughs> fill in the gaps um and then they've had the baby and then what happens then there is some stuff that happens off-site what happens off-site uh, that's right, there are some shepherds. Who called out shepherds? I think you might have said shepherds. Thank you. Tanya's our shepherds. You're in a, you're in a field somewhere, so why don't you, you come over here. You're in this field. There might even have been a bit... though. Yeah. <laughs> the sheep has relocated. Um, I will say there was probably one element that we missed that we often forget um, to include, but what happened before... You were right to highlight the census, but when you guys arrived in Bethlehem, what's the part of the story that we know happened? There was no room at the inn. They knocked on doors. So let's just... That was our prologue uh, to this story. Okay. So then some angels appear to some shepherds, and the shepherds get excited and come. So you just walk over. Great. The sheep is playing multiple roles. This is very appropriate. Uh, And then what what was the next thing that happened? Yeah, who called out wise man? Nobody wants to participate. Sandra's our wise man. Sandra, it's your big moment. Everybody, this is our wise man. Please. Now, are you a king? Are you a wise man? Who knows? Who's to say? The song says, "We three kings." Paintings depict uh, three kings. A lot of paintings and artists actually gave them names: Balthazar, some other thing. Um, They were in 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 art. They're portrayed as like an African king, an Asian king, and a Middle Eastern king. Um, And if you look at like paintings and things from the era, from the era, from medieval times when they would paint the nativity a lot. Um, they would often, they were always showed the three kings and one of them was always African because they were trying to rec, um, cover all of the parts of the known world at the time. So these guys saw the star, made their way in and we three kings of Orient uh, um, give their gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And that's generally the story that we know. Have I missed anything major? I mean, there's, there's, a, there's other, like, Game of Thronesy political things that happen around the outside. But otherwise, do we all feel comfortable with the beautiful nativity scene that we have created? Okay, good. You guys can all take your seats again. Thank you. Please give a hand to our players. Wonderful. Thank you very much. So here's the thing. I think it is really our responsibility to know the story and tell the story. And what I want to do is actually look at certain elements of this story and then just pick the most simple, what I think is largely the most profound thing about this Christmas story for us as as Christians. In, In the telling of this story, what do we tell people about it? Why is it important? Why does it mean something to us? Why should it mean something to anyone? Uh, A couple of things that are really interesting, um, if you look at, like, if you listen to songs or if you look at the paintings and things of the, of this scene, uh, in some paintings they're in a cave, interestingly, they have Mary in a cave, in some paintings they have lots of other people present at the birth, um, and if you listen to songs we get told about, you know, the cattle are lowing and different things, um, there's all these elements of the story that we, in our minds, are very present and prescient and they we all feel like we know the Christmas story based on these different things. But what we want to do now is actually look at what happened. So if you want to look in your Bibles, we're going to move back and forth between Luke and Matthew because in the Gospels we're only really given two versions of the birth story of Jesus. And remembering that the Gospels are also written by storytellers. The Gospels were written by guys who'd spent time with Jesus, and then at the end of their time with Him, they looked back and thought, I need to tell everybody the story that I know, and what am I going to tell? What am I going to focus on? If you were going to tell, I mean, all of history is like this. All history books are written by people that pick certain events, and choose to dwell on those events, and we tell some stories and we don't tell others. I mean, even the fact that we're hearing about an angel appearing to Mary—how could Mark, Matthew, or John have possible, or Luke have possibly known about that unless they had been told? And they were choosing to tell. You know, with Matthew and Luke, most of their gospels are about times when they were actually with Jesus, whereas this particular story, they obviously weren't there. So they're telling us they're choosing to open their gospels by telling a story in a reflective way. If you're going to tell me about your day, you probably wouldn't tell me every single detail. You would pick certain things that were important to you and that stood out to you. So I highlight that just because there are certain details that stood out to them and therefore they should stand out to us. But let's, let's start at the beginning. So Luke chapter 1 verse 26, uh, and it says this. I'll, I'm going to read out all of it because our responsibility as Christians is to know the story so that we can tell the story. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called your Son of God, called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren, is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. "I am the Lord's servant," Mary answered. "May it be to me as you have said." And then the angel left her. So the angel appears to Mary. You all heard. I don't need to recount that story. Uh, I won't read the full thing, but basically what happens next is Mary then, full of joy, goes to visit her relative Elizabeth. And the Bible tells us that Elizabeth, who was also heavily pregnant by miracle, because she was too old to have kids and was barren, but had a baby inside her, which would become John the Baptist. Mary visits her, and these two relatives as they meet, Elizabeth describes that the baby inside her leaps And Elizabeth is overcome and basically gives this prophetic declaration saying, Blessed are you, Mary, among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So instantly, Mary's this young girl who's been told by an angel that she's going to be pregnant, goes and visits her cousin or relative, and her her relative bursts out. And as soon as she sees her, she feels the baby on her. The inside of her responds to the promise of the child that's going to be in Mary and says, "You're going to. You're the mother of my Lord." It's amazing. Uh, at the end of that, Mary gives this beautiful song where she says, "My soul glorifies the Lord; my spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour, for He has been mindful of the humble state of His servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed." And she goes on to say. Many amazing things. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Uh, Around this time, we're going to jump now back to Matthew chapter 1, verse 19. Because around this same time, an angel appeared to Joseph. In 19 it starts, uh, because Joseph... uh, Because Joseph, Mary's husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly because she had come to him basically saying, I'm pregnant and I'm going to have a baby. And it was by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, being any normal human being, was like, oh, I bet you're pregnant. But he was also a very kind and righteous man, so he wasn't going to shame her. But after he had all these thoughts, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, that the virgin will be with child and give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he he gave him the name Jesus. Now we're going to skip to Luke chapter 2, verse 1. So, so far the beats of our story. An angel has appeared to Mary, this young woman, and said, you're going to be pregnant. At the same time, an angel appears, ...to her husband Joseph and says, don't worry, when your wife says she's pregnant and you know it's not yours, it's actually from God. She then visits her relative Elizabeth and says, I'm pregnant and Elizabeth already knows because the baby on the inside of her leaps for joy. And then in Luke chapter 2, we are told about the way that they actually gave birth. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place, etc., etc. Everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph took Mary back to his own hometown. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee Galilee, to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And then we'll keep going. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on the earth, peace to men on whom His favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they were told. And now one last moment of our story. Back to Matthew. We'll skip a little bit ahead. Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and make careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I can also worship him. After they heard the king, the Magi went on their way. The star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, of incense, and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream, they never went back to Herod to tell him what they had found. So that's the story. I know it's a lot of reading, but it's very interesting to me reading this back. Do you ever, like, have you ever been a fan of a book and then the book gets made into a movie? And then you watch the movie and there's all these bits that happen that you're like, well, that didn't happen in the book. That's not part of it or that character's not. Or you wait for things to happen and then you're like, oh, they, yeah, okay. And they, they die at the end of that book but they're still alive in the movie. It's amazing to me how many things have been added to this story and how many elements that we just associate because Christmas has become such a tradition for us that we don't even have to open our Bibles. We could all write our own nativity story picture book for kids. But the Bible was written by people that were telling us something about God. The Holy Spirit was on them, using them to tell the stories that they knew so that we could actually learn something about the God that we serve. And it is our job as disciples, as true Christians, to know the story so that we can tell the story. And it's so interesting in in the the little bit of research that I did. The only mention of an inn is the sentence that they couldn't find room at the inn. And what's interesting is there's a lot of discussion around what the word that actually is used for inn, and I'm not going to get into what that is because I don't even understand it. But what I did read, this is in the Dictionary of the New Testament, uh, they talked about how the same word could refer to house, could refer to like a guest house. They were saying basically what probably happened was Mary and Joseph were staying with some friends and couldn't get room in the typical guest house, so they had to... Either way, they were like, there's probably no chance of them being surrounded by animals. The animals come into the story because Jesus was placed in a manger, which was a feeding trough. Now, we don't know for sure, but we don't know. Now, historically, in paintings and things, animals were used to to tell different truths. So when you see a painting from medieval times and there's a, a donkey and a cow, they're actually not telling what happened in the Bible. They're telling a theological principle that came later. The donkey represented unclean animals. The cow represented clean animals. They were saying Jesus was the meeting point between the Gentiles and the Jews. So the painters were actually also doing kind of what matthew and mark had done but not necessarily under the unction of the holy spirit they were putting their own stuff into the story to try and tell us the broader truths that they saw in the story which is great but as christians it's our job to only really know the source material now it's not to say that we should never say that there were animals at the at, at you know the bedside of jesus whether there were or weren't we weren't there but what we do have to do is go, God, why are we told this story? Why is this important to us? And I think that we live in a time when there are too many giant empires being built on people's thoughts and ideas that aren't necessarily based on the Word of God. And if our faith is to survive, and if we're going to say things like put the Christ back in Christmas, we have to know what does that mean? Do you mean put the baby back in the manger surrounded by animals? Because if you do, then there's a flaw with some of what you're saying. Uh, the other thing that's sort of interesting, and these are just details, but again, it's, it's stuff for us to look at and then step back and go, okay, God, what are you actually saying with this story? Luke doesn't say anything about the, ki- the Magi, and Matthew doesn't say anything about the shepherds. So it's quite possible that they didn't all happen on the same night. In fact, it's quite probable that they didn't happen on the same night. That actually the, the Magi came months later through Bethlehem to look for Jesus. It's possible. We don't really know. But again, even the fact that, you know, in paintings and in songs we call them kings, but the Bible doesn't call them kings. These are just subtle differences, but this is what I'm trying to get at. Our job is to know the story so that we can tell the story. Because we have the story because it means something to us. And if we start adding all these extra things, I don't know if anyone's seen, this is probably not the right crowd to confess this to, but if anyone's seen the Book of Mormon musical, it's highly offensive, but it's all about this idea of a guy who doesn't actually know anything um, of a Mormon, a young kid who goes to be a Mormon missionary in Africa. He literally doesn't know anything about his Bible, so he just makes stuff up and then the entire community of African people just live off what he makes up. And it's satirical and it's ridiculous and it's highly offensive and full of swearing, so don't go see it. But, uh, but the principle is very interesting for us, especially in an age when we're constantly bombarded by different people saying different ideas. What's the story? What is the Christmas story? What are we told? Um, you know, the date is an interesting one. 25th of December... Who knows why it's on the 25th of December. There are so many different ideas around that. And listen, I'm not trying to like dismantle Christmas for you. What we're doing is recognizing the things that we've constructed and then getting to the core of God, why are we told this story? When I go out and tell people Christmas is important because... I can't be bringing in things like, well, the 25th of December was, you know. Maybe Constantine changed the date to match up with some other Roman festival. Maybe it's to do with the solstice. We don't really know. Some people, some churches, the Armenian church celebrates it on the 6th of January. We don't, which is, they think, when the Magi approached um, Jesus. What else have I written here? Uh, yeah, it was interesting, just one of the quotes in the in the dictionary of the New Testament that I was reading that just said, The idea of Mary and Joseph being cast out from civilized accommodation and taking up temporary residence in a barn is probably based on a misunderstanding of the text. And again, not to just ruin the way that we can still set up our nativity scenes and things, but when we share about how good our God is and what he's done for us, let's know what he's done. Let's pin down... Exactly what he's done. So, what are we left with? There's a lot in the story. There are so many things. Firstly, the virgin conception is unbelievably important for us as Christians. It's a key, a cornerstone of our faith. In fact, up until then, in no other historical kind of legends or narratives in any of the mythologies and writings at the time had had a spiritual conception ever been written about. This was the first time recorded that the idea that God conceived with a human being. That was a, that's a revolutionary and important idea because it means that Jesus was not the result of two people. It means that he was some kind of divine intervention in the affairs of men. I also love to think like, what must the angels have thought? Like, what did it look like from the angels' perspective? Like, I mean, we don't really know what the spiritual realm and the looks like or what the physical realm looks like to people, you know, angels and heavenly beings. But I just kind of love the thought that they're out in the fields, but they probably, could they see Jesus? Like, does he look like anything to them in the spiritual realm? Are they like, sup, Jesus? Shepherds! Like, I don't know. That's just the way my brain <laughs> works. To me... This is the most profound thing about the Christmas narrative. And listen, I do think historically, for whatever reason, society and culture has kind of picked certain events throughout the year to tell us are more important than others. I think as disciples and as true believers, all of it's important. The death of Christ is important. The birth of Christ is important. The life and times of Christ is important. The afterlife of Christ is important. And I don't think that we should necessarily tie these things just to certain times of year, I think it's actually okay if the 25th of December is also just as much about family as it is about celebrating something on our, in our Bibles, because really, we celebrate those things every day of the year in our Bibles. So we don't have to be offended if somebody's like, oh, I prefer to just put on holiday songs and sit with my family. That's like, hey, that's totally fine. If you ever want me to tell you the profound, beautiful story of when Jesus was born, I can do that. Uh, to me, the most profound thing is this idea that of all the faiths in the world, all the different ways that people believe, some faiths talk about this idea of ascension, of enlightenment, the idea that human beings reaching out for something somehow constructed a tower high enough to reach God. Or, you know, in the Buddhist tradition of, like, reducing ourselves and cutting ourselves off from the things that we desire and the things that we want, and you get to the point of reduction where you don't even feel love or pain or passion or anything. You're completely disconnected, and then you reach some kind of nirvana state and you connect with some kind of higher being. A lot of different faiths have this idea that it's on us to do something, to connect with God, to connect with spirituality. What I love about the Christmas story is that in the Christian faith, God made the move to connect with us. He did not say, he did not throw out some red carpet in front of us or build some ladder in front of us and say, climb this to get to me. He actually stepped down into our world, which to me is deeply profound, deeply offensive. It doesn't make sense, but it's incredible and it shows the grace and the character of God. And that's a huge thing that we learn in this story. I want you to do something. Everyone close your eyes. I've made this point before, but I'm going to try and illustrate it in a different way. Everyone close your eyes, and I want you to imagine a house. Just imagine whatever house. It can even be your house. Now, I want you to imagine a young woman. She's, let's say, 19 years old. I want you to give her a hair colour. I want you to give her whatever kind of clothes she's wearing. With your eyes closed, just nod your head when you think you can see this woman. Yep. Now I want you to imagine a husband for this woman. Give him hair colour, give him clothes, give him shoes. Can you see what kinds of shoes he's wearing? Okay, so your eyes are closed and you've just... In your mind, in your imagination, if you look around, are they in a house? You can see the house that they're in? Just nod. Okay. So you can see a fair amount of detail. So these people exist on some weird imagination plane. Now imagine if that couple were looking back at you, how would you try and communicate to them who you are in relation to them? With your eyes closed, they are real. They are real people. If I told you to tell them to walk to the left, they would walk to the left. If I told you to tell them to walk to the right, they would walk to the right. So for all intents and purposes, even if they just exist in your imagination, they are, they are real. They have a hair color. If I, if I guessed the hair color, I could be right or wrong based on what you have. So they exist. But now imagine if you had to try and communicate your world to these two people that you just created. Okay, you can open your eyes. I hope that the illustration makes sense. Imagine you as the person that just created. If I got you all to close your eyes again and imagine them, you would see the same two people because they are real. Your imagination has constructed brown hair or whatever it is, blue eyes, red shoes. Imagine trying to communicate to them what our world looks like and then that, I mean, for us, their world is literally just actually made up of, like, synapses and electrons firing around your brain, you know. The disconnection is insane. Now think about it. God, the infinite, eternal creator of the universe, found a way to make himself known to us. And he didn't appear in some blaze of glory. He didn't appear as some thunderous voice out of the sky. This is the stuff that's so profound and perplexing and what we have to spend the rest of our lives trying to understand. Think about it. When Adam and Eve ate that fruit all the way back in the book of Genesis and sin entered the world and human beings were disconnected from God, God started thinking, okay, how do I bring these guys back into not just an understanding of me but a deep relationship with me? And throughout all of human history, he dropped these seeds He dropped little words. He he sent his angels to speak to guys like Isaiah and just said, just say this little sentence. You won't understand what it means, but it'll be relevant back here. And then Jeremiah and Ezekiel and all of his prophets over time and King David would write songs and he was just an artist writing a song and God was like, they're great lyrics. Just do that. It'll be relevant. And then thousands of years after all of those guys had left the earth, some young woman sitting in her bedroom, has an angel appear to her and tell her, God Almighty is going to have a baby with you, even though you've never done what you need to do to have a baby, and it's going to be okay. You've never read about this happening anywhere. There's no evidence that this has ever existed before as an idea or as a concept, but it's going to happen. And then God, think about this even from the angel's perspective. They've sat back. They watched man fall. They watched us get disconnected from God. They watched how God felt when Satan tricked us into eating the fruit. And they probably said right back then, what's he going to do? They watched him speak to Isaiah. They watched him speak to Jeremiah, speak to David. And they were like, I feel like this is all heading somewhere. And it all arrived at this one night when they finally saw Jesus, who we know was Part of heaven emerge from Mary as a human baby. That's why the angels explode in the sky over this small group of shepherds and are like, we don't know where this is going, but it's going to be amazing. Because they just watched God, who is their king in heaven, figure out a way to communicate himself to the people that he had created. And he did it by becoming one of us. And it is a unique story to the Christian faith. And it speaks to the idea that our God loves us so much, not to stand on the other end of a chasm and say, you'll figure out how to get to me. He actually came to our side. That's what the story's about. And listen, there's a lot of other little details to read into. Why are there women's names in the genealogy? And why was it wise men that came? And those details are things for us to learn and dig into over time. But I think, for me, the starting point and most profound thing is the simple idea that God's method was to be born as a human being. And we know that it's just the beginning of the story. That's what Christmas is about. That's what we make Christmas about. Christmas itself, it's family time. It's a time to, you know, we don't have to get caught up on the date and on the what Maya decides to put in their windows. And I think Christians, we sometimes get distracted by things that we don't need to get distracted by, you know. And, th- I mean, obviously we want to tell the story as we know it, but we do that in here. I wrote when this girl had sent the message, I wrote back and pretty much said, All of that, I just, you know, I explained that, you know, I was like, I'm very sorry if you thought that I was insulting or belittling my faith. I wasn't at all. Uh, But Christmas is, I mean, the world is so commercialized now. Anything that becomes a mass celebration never means the thing that it's about. And that's fine. Who Who cares about them? We are not of that world. But in this place, we care about the story, because we want to know the story so that we can tell the story. So, yeah, on your Christmas days, don't, <laughs> it doesn't mean, you know, I don't think we have to shy away from the songs that say things that, you know, maybe didn't exactly happen how they happened. I think that's totally fine. I think we just celebrate the fact that the broader point is that God became one of us. He became the least of us. Awesome. All right. That's it. Merry Christmas, everybody.